Today's Rambam teaches us how every word of this verse is critical. The verse I am referring to is the verse that says, Babayis, or Babayis Echod Yeochel, shall be eaten in one house. Don't take it out of that house. Don't break any bone of the Paschal sacrifice. Okay, so it should be eaten in one house. What does it all mean? The Rambam tells us, again, cold from Mishnah and Gemara and Halacha, Anyone who eats from the Paschal sacrifice may only eat in one group. Remember we said that the Paschal sacrifice is broken up into groups. You have to sign up for the group. One group per person. You can't sign up to more than one group. You can't partake with more than one group. You can't walk around tasting. Uh, taste from this group, a taste from this group. It doesn't work. Furthermore, one cannot take out the Paschal sacrifice from the group setting in which one was participating. So if you're having your Paschal sacrifice in your group setting, you can't take a piece out to another group setting. And if somebody brings forth even one olive-sized piece of meat from one group to the other, he decides to see what's going on, what the action is at the other group. As long as this is in the right time of the eating of the Paschal sacrifice. The 15th, the eve of the 15th, which is the Seder night. Like, under certain circumstances, if he was warned and witnessed, he can actually be liable to receive lashes. As it says, The verse I tried to quote from memory earlier. Do not take out from the house, from this meat outside. The house is the group setting. Do not take out your food from your group. Now, like the laws of Shabbos, we learned that in order to really technically violate the laws of Shabbos, you have to lift something up in one domain and put it down in another domain. That's called akira, lifting up, uprooting, and hanokha, and placing down. So here also, technically, one does not really totally violate until one puts it down in the setting of another group. The technical application of the laws of taking from one group to another would mirror the Shabbos laws. Therefore, we need a lifting up to begin the process, meaning lifting up the piece of meat from one group, and setting it down, like taking out on Shabbos. Furthermore, there cannot be the violation of taking out from a group setting following the violation of taking out from a group setting. Which means if Moshe took a piece of meat out from a group setting and put it in another room, and Baruch picks up the same piece of meat and takes it even to another room, Baruch didn't violate anything, because it was already taken out by Moshe. Shekiv and Harishin being at the first one, first person took it out, Nifsal is already unfit, it no longer has the identification of a Paschal sacrifice. Now, we're talking about a house. May Amino Agaf Vilifnim Kilifnim from the doorframe of the house and inward is considered part of the house. Mino Agaf Alakhut from the doorframe of the house and outside, Kilakhut is considered like outside. So if somebody is having his paschal sacrifice in the doorframe, it depends if it's closer to the inside or closer to the outside. So inside the doorframe is inside, outside the doorframe is outside. What about in the frame area itself? which is the thickness of the door. So he says, Kilakhut, being that we're talking about a door, that's considered outside. However, Achalainis, the windows, and the thickness of the walls, Kilifnim is considered like inside. So if somebody's sitting in a window frame, it's considered inside. Hagagim, what about the roofs? The Alias and the attics. Ainam Machlal, Habayas is not considered part of the house. So that would be a problem if somebody took it to the roof or to the attic. What if the Paschal sacrifice meat was taken outside its group? Setting, whether intentionally, once the meat has been taken outside the group setting, it may no longer be eaten. And here the Rambam says something which I find fascinating. Just as the Holy of Holies, you take it outside the courtyard, it's no longer edible. Just as the regular holy, you take it out of the Jerusalem walls, it's no longer edible. For the purpose of the Paschal sacrifice, the house in which it is eaten is its boundary. And you take it outside that house, it's no longer edible. It's like the meat of the Holy of Holies. Which left outside the perimeters of the courtyard. Or the meat of the lesser level of sacrifices, such as peace offerings. Which was taken out, which went out outside the walls of Jerusalem. As far as practical halacha is concerned, any of the above scenarios would be unfit to be eaten. That's the expression we are accustomed to. Treifa. Straight. It's not edible. The lake in Alakilasa, under the right circumstances, there could be lashes applied for eating it to Mesha Biyarnab and Masakabonis, as we explained in great detail in the laws of the sacrifices. Now, what if we have a Paschal sacrifice? This baby goat or lamb. Aver Shayotza Mixosa, one of its limbs was taken out. 
What do you do? So you cut off the meat. And keep going until the bone. And then you peel off the meat. In the case of a paschal sacrifice, you don't want to break the bone. In the case of another offering, you would actually break the bone. Kill should if you need anything inside the border. Yeah, should be eaten. Maybe eaten. Machal should be anything outside. You start has to be burnt. Shemagiel adds when he comes to the bone. Chaysech bechaypitz. He cuts it with a hatchet, with an axe. In Ha'yashar culture, there was other holy sacrifices. In Ha'yapesach, also these were beyetzim. If it was a paschal offering, in which a breaking of a bone is forbidden, Kaylef he peels it. Ada peyrek until the joint. He scrapes it. Umavarek ha'eiver. She also makes tzosim ha'peyrek ha'mashlich ha'luchutz. And then he separates the limb. The part that went outside the border and casts it out, and the rest can be eaten. So here again we see the seriousness of this law. This is not a joke. This is not symbolic or euphemistic. What if there were two groups? There are different interpretations. Some say these were two separate offerings who happen to be sharing one house. So one is on one side of the house and one is on the other. Others say it was the same group who split into two groups. There has to be some kind of recognizable sign, a delineation of borders, in order to differentiate this is group A and this is group B. From the meat outside, from tradition we learn, that there has to be a demarcation, which tells you, past this point, is outside. Furthermore, one group turns one way and eats, the other group turns the other way, otherwise they'd be facing each other, we're concerned before you know it, it'll be one group. It should not appear that they are one group. That's the importance of the distinction and the separation. So if there's a boundary, we're not worried about which way they're looking. But if there's no boundary, then we're concerned that they look in different directions. Now, what if there was a server, which we call a shamish, a waiter, who was in the middle? He's the wine guy. Once upon a time, the wines were so strong, they could not actually be consumed without mixing them with water. So there was a guy in charge of wine mixing. He would dilute the wine. What if there were two groups? And the water which was used to soften up the strength of the wine, was in the middle of the house, between the two groups, when the waiter, is ready to pour the water, to dilute the wine, he is part of one group, and he's chewing his lamb chop, he has to close his mouth, and turn his face away, until he comes back to his group, he can't be chewing and munching in the other group, and only then can he continue chewing and digesting that which is in his mouth, processing that which is in his mouth, bottom line is, it is, for, it is forbidden for anybody who eats, to eat, in two groups, now, in the case of a bride, where there was a bride, and a bride are usually very shy and they don't like to eat in public. You know, you ever see a bride, they never eat. <laughs> so, uh, now, I haven't eaten in years. So, the bride is embarrassed to eat. She can turn her face away from her companions, and she can eat. Because the bride is embarrassed to eat in their presence, so she has a special dispensation of forbearance, where she can turn away from her friends and face the other way. Hey, what if we have two groups? They had a demarcation between them in the same house. They had a separation. They don't eat. Because their mechitza, their separation, broke down. So we have a problem. <clears throat> Again, this is the stringency of the rules of separation. They must stop eating. And he says here in the notes, until the divider is once again set up. If it was one group, and somehow a division developed between the two groups, two, one group may not become two. If they start eating in one group, they have to eat throughout in one group. They can't continue to eat until the separation has removed the barrier. Because one pastoral offering cannot be eaten in two groups. Once they started eating, and cannot be moved, people cannot change from group to group. You can't change groups in the middle. They say, let's see what's going on in the other place. I heard all the gossip, but did not. Okay. Six. Now we're talking about time. <clears throat> what time are we eating the Paschal sacrifice? Oh, we're starting at 7 o'clock. Well, 7 o'clock means different things to different people. To some people, 7 o'clock means 10 to 7. To some people, 7 o'clock means 8. To some people, it means 8.30. To some people, it means 10. Depends on the culture. So the members of a group where three of the sign-ups, of the guys who signed up to the group came in, and you also more than three, let's say there was 20 people signed up. Three of them come in, to eat their Paschal sacrifice, and they're looking at their watches, none of the other members are there. So what do you do? How long do you have to wait? As long as they came in, in a normal time, in other words, the three who came in, came in in a normal time, they came in at seven o'clock, and then the guy in charge runs around and says, guys, let's go, we're starting. And he went to all the members and spread the word, they didn't come, they're busy. Then the halacha says that those who came in may eat. They can continue eating and eating and eating until they are satiated. Theoretically, 
They don't have to wait for anyone else. They can keep eating until they finish the Paschal sacrifice. When the other guys come and they say, hey, we're signed up for this Paschal sacrifice. They say, oh yeah, next year, come earlier. Now, the commentary said that that would be highly inappropriate. They should at least leave one olive's worth for every member of the sign-up group. Even if the people who came late come late, Johnny come lately, or Mark, so when they found Elosh later, they come in and they find three out of twenty, they, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. They ate the whole thing. They don't even have to pay them because they ate their pastoral sacrifice. But again, it's not appropriate. They should leave a little bit. That rule applies as long as there is a quorum, a minimum of three. But if only two people came on time, then they have to wait at least until a third person comes. When does this apply? When they come in to eat. But when they're leaving, the person does not wait for the other person. Even if one person himself finished eating, he may leave. He does not have to wait for the others to depart. If somebody gives a piece, an olive's worth, of the Paschal Sacrifice. This law, which we're about to learn, applies both to the first Paschal Sacrifice, or the second, to a heretic, who's known as an idol worshiper. And he says to the idol worshiper, here, Mr. Idol worshiper, Mr. Idol worshiper, have some Paschal Sacrifice. Or to a stranger settler. What's a stranger settler? He's a non-Jew in Israel who takes upon himself the seven Noahide laws, but does not become a full convert. So he has no business eating Paschal Sacrifice. Or to a hired hand who's not Jewish. In any of the above scenarios, he transgresses a negative commandment. However, there's no lashes possible. He's liable for rabbinic-type lashes, rebellious lashes, which we defined earlier. What is this? The Torah says, Any alien should not eat it. Does it mean someone from Mars? A Martian? What's an alien? Someone who serves an alien god, an idolater. Furthermore, we should not cause a non-Jew to eat of the Paschal sacrifice. It's something which is reserved for the members of the tribe who are circumcised and who worship God. I feel a of even a stranger settler, a Sahir, who in other situations is fed. Shanamar, as it says, even in this case, Toshab, Bisahir Loyokobo, a stranger settler, which means someone who is observed, who has accepted the seven Noahide laws, but not Judaism, or a hired hand who is not a Jew, Loyokobo, may not partake of the Paschal offering. Even a Jew who is not circumcised may not partake of the Paschal offering. Even a Jew who is idolatrous may not partake of the Paschal offering. Ches, Orel, an uncircumcised male, Shachal Kazayas, awake even an olive's worth. Mipsar, Hapesach, from the meat of the Paschal offering, Leka, under certain circumstances, with war, ample warning, and witnesses testifying, he's liable for lashes. Shanem, as it says, call Orel Leyechal, by any uncircumcised person, may not eat of it. And from here we learn that necessarily this refers to the Paschal sacrifice, but he may eat matzah, the matzah and the marah and the bitter herbs. It's also permissible to cause a gertoshev, a stranger settler, someone who has accepted only the seven Noahide laws, and a hired hand, they may eat matzah, they may eat more. It's only the Paschal sacrifice that we are concerned about because of the rules which cover the Paschal sacrifice, which are very stringent. Tess, the final and closing paragraph of chapter 9. Paragraph 9 of chapter 9. Just as we learned earlier, that the circumcision or lack of circumcision of his sons or his slaves during the time there was slavery would actually prevent a Jew from being permitted to slaughter his Paschal offering. We learned that earlier. If someone has a child that was born and not circumcised after the obligation kicks in, which means after the eighth day, or someone purchased a slave, and that obligation kicks in for circumcision, and he doesn't do so. So we learned earlier, he cannot slaughter the Paschal offering. It also prevents him from eating it. Not only does it prevent him from slaughtering it, but if he slaughtered it in an okay state, he may not eat it now. For example, if he purchased a slave between the slaughtering time and the eating time. Shanaman, as it says, you shall circumcise him. Oz, then and only then, may eat of the Paschal offering. what is the scenario where this could happen? Where at the time of slaughter, he had no problem, and now suddenly he has an obligation of a circumcision that did not take place in his house. For example, Kono Ebed, if he purchased a slave, after the Paschal offering was slaughtered, or another situation. He had a baby, boy. His wife had a baby, boy. The time for circumcision did not kick in until after the slaughtering of the Paschal sacrifice. Now, how is that possible? The time for circumcision is in the eighth day. The slaughtering of the Paschal sacrifice is right in the afternoon. The eating is that evening. And he's forbidden to eat until he 
circumcises them. What's the possible scenario where this could take place, where he is fit for circumcision only after the slaughtering of the Paschal sacrifice? He should not be fit before. So here we come into an interesting law. Let me give an introduction to the law. If a child is not up to having a bris, a newborn child is not up to having a circumcision, the doctor said he's not ready for it. Or, in halacha, jaundice, yellow is a big thing. He's yellow. Or he's ill. So he says, under certain situations, when there's a serious situation, for example, he developed a fever or any other serious condition. So it's not so simple. You can't have developed a fever on day 8 and you say, you know what, I'm going to postpone it. So day 8 is Friday. And then you say, you know what, Sunday is a day when everybody's available, I'll make it Sunday, two days later. The baby's better. Not so simple. If a child was facing any type of health challenge which was serious, such as fever, he has to wait a week. What is a week? Seven days from moment to moment minimum. One of my grandfathers, Rabbi Eliyahu Simpson of Blessed Memory, was a very great halachic authority, a very great rabbi in New York. In fact, if you look at any of the photographs with the Rebbe officiating at people's weddings, he's always next to the Rebbe. He was the guy who put together all the technical rabbinic uh, demands of the wedding. The Rebbe would come and say the brothers. So he was a, a great rabbi, a great rabbinic authority. And I experienced where he said once a baby's wrist was postponed for any good reason, wait a week. And not every rabbi says that, but this is the halacha we're talking about. Says that Rambam Shetzarich, Shivas Yom Emei you need seven days, from minute to minute. Miyei Mabrasi, from the moment he becomes well. One of the serious conditions of a child with a bris is his eye, he has an eye condition, and right after the Paschal sacrifice was slaughtered, the optometrist said, the ophthalmologist, the optometrist said, the ophthalmologist said, he's better, and pronounced him well. So you have to wait a week. This was 4 p.m., you have to wait until 4 p.m. The Paschal sacrifice was slaughtered at 2 p.m. So he wasn't Or there's a situation which we've learned many, many times, called a tuntum, a person who's genitalia is covered by a mound of flesh, it's impossible to detect whether it's a boy or a girl, and then they surgically cut it open, they find out he's a boy. In that case, he needs a bris, and that happened after the slaughtering, before the eating. So once a bris is obligated, then it prevents the people from, the, the parent, or in the case of the slave, the owner, from eating the Paschal Sacrifice, end of chapter 9. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchis, Korban Pesach, the laws of the Paschal Sacrifice, Pedic Asili, the 10th. And closing chapter, there is an intro of Korban Pesach, of the Paschal Sacrifice, there is an interesting mitzvah, part of the Paschal Sacrifice, coming from a Pesach. The Etzem Lo Tishbirubo, do not break a bone of the Paschal Sacrifice. Wow. That's uh, getting into detail. So he says here in Pedic Asiri, the halacha is hashaver etzem bepesach toer, anyone who breaks a bone of a pure, meaning kosher, pure, not impure, paschal offering, under the right circumstances, could be liable, susceptible to receive lashes. He needs witnesses and so on. Shanema, as the verse says, the etzem lo tishbiru you shall not break a bone within it. That is not only applicable to the first Pesach experience on the Seder night, but also Bechain, also Nemar, this verse. Or a similar verse is also stated, the Pesach Shani, with regard to the second Paschal offering, or the makeup Paschal offering, the etzem la yishbiru you shall not break a bone within it. Abel, however, that applies to the Paschal offering that's brought by the majority of the Jewish people when they are in a state of purity. Abel, Pesach, Shabbat, we also learned that if the majority of the Jewish people are in a state of impurity, then the fact that they are majority overrules and supersedes the fact that they are impure, and they bring it anyway. But if, in this case, where they brought an impure Pesach offering, if a bone broke, there is no possibility of lashes, because that is the halacha. Because from tradition we learned, that the words, you shall not break the bone within it, tradition teaches us, Oral law teaches us this applies to the pure pastoral offering related coming, not to the situation where an impure offering was brought. Now, when does this apply? Only the night of the Paschal sacrifice or in general? So he says, This law applies whether somebody broke the bone on the evening or evenings, because we're talking about two, first Pesach, second Pesach, of the 15th, or during the daylight hours before the 15th came, which means after it was offered, before nighttime, or even after a few days. There is a possibility of lashes, in order to make sure that nobody does this, nobody breaks the bone. It is customary that we actually burn the bones of the Paschal sacrifice, if there's anything left of that Paschal sacrifice, if there's any meat left, because we will learn very soon that this whole mitzvah of not breaking the bone is only if there's meat on the bone. So if there's meat left, you should burn not only the meat, when we talk about meat left, past the expiration date, you burn not only the meat, but the bone. Why? 
Simply, that the bones should not be a stumbling block, and people should not break the bones and violate a very serious biblical mitzvah. Now he qualifies and he says, We're not culpable. What is not culpable for breaking the bone? Unless it has either at least a volume of an olive, of meat, or the bone has marrow in it. Bone marrow. When I was a kid, my mother would say, Who wants a bone with marrow? Ah, it's very low on the cholesterol. But a bone that has no marrow, or has no meat, and the culpability of breaking it is not there. You can break it because it's not a bone anymore, it's used up. However, if it had at least an olive sized volume of meat, and he broke the bone, not in the place where the meat was, the meat was a little further down the bone, he's culpable. Even though the exact spot where the break took place was without meat, but that bone had meat. Okay, now what happens, as he often says in Allah, what if somebody breaks a bone after somebody else broke the same bone? We had to make the same bone, the bones and bones. Like that, there is lash is possible. Hey, I said about Thomas, what if somebody burns bones? Or someone cuts up sinews. Now, it may not be the best thing to do, but he's not culpable, he's not guilty for breaking a bone. Burning bones is not breaking bones, and chopping up sinews is not breaking bones. What about Pesach, six, a Paschal offering, which is on the raw side, we learned earlier, that you're not allowed to have a raw Paschal offering, or a cooked a sodden, a cooked pastoral offering. This pastoral offering has to be roasted. What if it was raw, which means it's not roasted, or cooked, which means it's not roasted? Meshavah by Yisrael, and he broke the bone in an unfit pastoral sacrifice. Lake is still, there is the possibility of lashes. I feel in the of the And furthermore, even if it became later unfit due to a state of impurity, it became later unfit because it went out of the boundaries of where it should be. Yes, by Yisrael, Shavah by Still, the prohibition does apply to breaking the bone. Why? As he says now, because there was a time when it was a kosher pastoral sacrifice, and that's his qualification that he gives right now. When does this apply? at least. Some window of time where it was kosher and then it became unfit. It didn't have a window of time at all. For example, it was a situation where it became pigul. We learned earlier in very great detail that pigul is the coin. Had an inappropriate thought at one of the key points. A nasib, or inappropriate thought of name, a place, a time. A nasib, changing time, changing the name in the thought process. That's pigul. Then the law does not apply because to begin with, it was not a kosher offering. Zion, shavar etzem What if he breaks the bone of the fatty tail? He does not receive lashes. Why? Because it's not fit for eating. Okay, ches, hashuchim, cartilage, shame coming out, shame, rakim, which is like soft bones, this may be eaten. What if it was a small goat, a tender one, shame, rakim, his bones are still tender, there is a concern, and therefore he should not eat them, because when somebody eats a tender goat, he's going to break the bones as he eats them. If he does eat them, he's liable for lashes. Because in halakha there's no difference, whether you break a hard bone or a soft bone. This is the rule, you judge in the following way, anything that may be eaten, in the case of a mature ox, which was cooked, that may be eaten from a tender Goat after it's roasted, you can roast it like the tips of the wings, and the uh, cartilage. You soft sinews which will ultimately become firm. Even though they're fit for eating now, but Pesach on Pesach and it should not be used as volume of meat for sign up. Remember, we learned that every person who signs up has to be able to consume at least an olive's worth. This should not be consumed as part of the available meat. But one can sign up to have the marrow in the head, because it can be brought forth without breaking the bone. However. One should not be enumerated on the marrow of the hip bone, because it's closed from both sides. Because the only way to get to the marrow is by breaking a bone. And again, the Torah has a prohibition against breaking a bone in a Paschal sacrifice. When a person consumes and eats the Paschal offering, he cuts the meat, and he eats it. He can also cut the bones at the joints. There's no reason why you can't cut the bones at the joints. And he can take them apart, separate them if he desires. Now, there is a part of every animal called the Gid which is that part which became forbidden since the Torah tells us about the wrestling match between Jacob and the angel. Called the sciatic nerves. The sciatic nerve. It's a whole section within the animal. Ordinarily, we remove the gidanosha, and we learn great detail of how that is done and so on. What's the deal with the Pesach offering with the gidanosha? Says the Rambam in his opinion, when we come to the part called the sciatic nerve, the gidanosha, he takes it out, he removes it, and then places it with the rest of the sinews and the bones. <coughs> And the membranes, which are removed at the time of eating. They're not cleaned like the rest of the meat. But it is roasted. Oh, 
And here the big issue is can this be roasted and what happens with the fat that trips from it and so on and so forth. This is discussion here at great length. There, Ibit chimes in. There's a lot of back and forth. In Chatoche Chatiches Chatiches, the pieces cultured in kosher, we shall be asked to as long as there's nothing lacking. Because the Paschal sacrifice, one of its conditions is that it has to be roasted whole. So the a person should invest effort. Shall Yashim Ipsar Pesach Adbeker not to leave any of the Paschal offering until morning. Specifically, a verse covers that. Shenema leisayciro bimenu Adbeker. Do not leave anything until morning. The same law applies by Shani in the makeup or second pastel offering, the 15th of year. Shanamar, Yashiru, Mimano, Adbeka, you shall not leave anything until morning. And he should be if he did. Main Badisha, Main Bashani, whether the first offering or the makeup, second offering, all body transgresses, but Lesasa, negative commandment. Main Alika, however, there cannot be a situation of lashes being given. Allah's after this negative commandment. Shani Nitikla Esa, because a negative commandment attached to a positive commandment which cures the scenario never has Malkus. Shanamar, Vanessa, Mimano, if you do leave, Vaishis, you're slave, or to slave, you burn up the fire. So therefore, that's a love, Shani Nitikla Esa, negative commandment connected to a positive commandment which usually does not have chorus, or does not have Malkus rather attached to it. And we learned originally, we covered earlier, that one should endeavor to complete the consumption, to complete eating the Paschal offering by midnight. And uh, that's a rabbinic decree to keep one safe well within the parameters of the dawn. And remember that dawn, you know, I don't know where you live because people are studying this on the internet, but dawn could be very early in the morning in places that are, you know, extremely north and, and so on and so forth. So dawn does not necessarily take place when it takes place in, in Southern California on Pesach. Okay. But even then, you know, whatever it is, it's 5 a.m. I'm guessing. Okay. Now, we mentioned briefly earlier that there's an entri- entire tractate of Mishnah Talmud called Chagiga. Chagiga are those festive Peace offerings, which the Jewish people were commanded to bring on festivals. On Pesach, the Chagiga plays a special role. It gives the person a meal so that the Paschal offering could be eaten when we are almost full. On the first Pesach experience, which means, unless one is experiencing a makeup offering on the second Pesach, during the regular Pesach, even we bring along with the Paschal offering, we bring peace offerings. The game our boss are from the 14th day. Where, what do peace offerings come from? In Abakar, it could be cattle, and not saying it could be sheep. Gedalim, it could be large, a time or small. Remember, the Paschal offering can only be a baby goat, or a baby lamb, or a baby sheep, but peace, off- peace offerings could be cattle. Big, small, schorim, cabis, male, female. Kechol, like a regular menu of the peace offerings. Zuhi, anikreis, and in common terminology, this is referred to as Chagigas, the festive offering of Arba, also the, the 14th. Korban Chagigas, I mentioned in the earlier shir, that in our world, our Pesach Seder, the egg is eaten at the Pesach Seder, or the egg is on the Seder plate, to commemorate the Chagiga. Again, we use symbols which no one would ever believe would be a sacrifice. We don't want anybody to think we do sacrifices nowadays. Which we won't do, of course, until Moshiach comes and rebuilds it by something. Now we understand a mystery or perplexing verse in the Torah. For this situation, it is specifically stated in the Torah. You shall offer a paschal offering to God your God. Sheep and cattle. Wait a minute. Cattle? Paschal sacrifice? Impossible. That's not what we learned as kids in Newark. The answer is, this is a sacrifice comes along with the paschal sacrifice. It's called Chagiga. That's the meaning of this ambiguous verse. When was this Chagiga brought? Only if it comes during the weekday. Why? Because on Shabbos we can only bring obligatory offerings. The Chagiga is not a hardcore obligatory offering. It's, it's more optional. You want to bring a peace offering, bring it. Well, Betara, only when it's brought in purity, when the Paschal sacrifice supersedes the laws of impurity, and they bring it anyway, you don't bring Chagigas with it. When there isn't enough food for people to eat and become full with the Paschal sacrifice itself, they intentionally brought Chagigas in order to give them a meal so that they can eat the Paschal sacrifice as a dessert. Abel, however, in Chalim, Arba, Salih, Shabbos, what if the 14th day of Nisan? Arab Pesach comes out on Shabbos. You can't bring a Chagigah on Shabbos. A Shabbat Pesach, but two more of the Paschal offering was brought by the majority of the community in a state of ritual impurity. Or that year there was abundance, an abundance of Paschal sacrifices. The groups were not that big. Remember, we learned about the fact that there were sign-ups to every group. Sometimes the sign-ups could be 30 people to a group, 40 people to a group, so everybody has an olive size, maybe. And this is something we have to be very meticulously observant of to make sure that there is enough or at least an olive size. Sometimes there could be such an abundance that there could be five, six people to a group. In that case, there's no need, really, theoretically, for this festive offering. And the being named there's no obligation to bring a Chagiga. So Chagiga is a good thing, but it's optional after all said and done. We only bring the Pesach offering. And now he defines it in Yud-Gimel 13. What is this Chagiga? Is it a mitzvah or is it not a mitzvah? The answer is yes. It is a mitzvah, but it's not an obligatory mitzvah. Chagigas Arbos are the festive offering of Ere Pesach of the 14th. Rishus is actually optional. It's not really obligatory. Now, all of the commentaries say, what are you talking about? Of course it's obligatory. We know it's obligatory. The answer is yes, rabbinically. 
The Rabbanon made it obligatory, but biblically no. The rules are different. A Chagiga, which is a peace offering, can be eaten for two days and one night, much longer than the Pesach offering. Like any other peace offering. Furthermore, we also learn about Chagigas. Also, Yom Hashlishi is forbidden to leave it for the third day. Shenem Avli Olim Abazar, you shall not cause to carry overnight from this meat. Asher Tizmach Barabitu offer in the evening by Yom Hashlishi Labek on the first morning. If Yashmo Lamdu, what first morning? From tradition, we learn Shazar. This is an admonition of Yom Hashlishi Basar. Chagigas Arba also Yom Hashlishi for somebody who leaves the meat of the Chagigas, the festive offering of the fourteenth day to the sixteenth morning, two mornings later. Shenem Avli Beker Ad Beker Shal Yom Hashlishi until the second morning. Ve'Hamayisir if somebody does, and the liquor is no lashes. El Yisir if Hamayisir Mera has to be burned. Kishan Hamayisir like any other no sale situation. What happens to this Chagiga meat? Yudali Basar Chagiga, the meat of the Chagiga offering. Shalom Pesach Hamashu Khan. What if the Chagiga offering was served? On the same table as the Paschal sacrifice offering, and together with that, they put all kinds of side dishes and all kinds of goodies, and then there may be leftovers. So what do we do? The Paschal offering has a much stricter leftover law than the Chagiga. The Paschal offering must be consumed by midnight or certainly by dawn and then burnt. The Chagiga has another day. So here you've got a mishmash where there are pieces of Paschal offering and Chagiga offering served in the same chont, in the same platter, on the same table, that it's best to burn the leftover Chagiga meat together with the Paschal meat because we want to be very careful because God forbid we should consume carbon Pesach meat the next day thinking it is Chagiga. You know, a charge, when you char meat, it all looks the same unless you're a butcher. Therefore, because this was served on the same table and it may have gotten confused, it should not be eaten until midnight like the Paschal offering itself. We're concerned that it became mixed up and would accidentally be eaten after midnight. Tesvav, the closing paragraph of chapter 10 and the closing paragraph of the laws of the Paschal sacrifice with Mazul Ubrocha. Says the Rambam, Tell me, says the Rambam, what is the difference? What is the difference between the laws applicable to the first offering and the second offering? Are there differences? The answer is, I'm glad you asked. Yes, there are. What are they? All right, be patient. We'll go through it. Harish, I'm just having a conversation with myself. Harish, I do that to wake myself up. Harish, in the first Pesach, also one is forbidden by chametz to have any chametz. But Yiroh, to have your own chametz seen by and found. That's the famous prohibition of Yiroh, Balyamotz, not to have chametz in our possession. That only applies to the first Pesach. It does not apply to the second Pesach. As we will learn, as we have learned, the second Pascal offering is he eats it. The chametz he made He can have chametz in his house and have the Pascal offering. He can have a bagel. Not one of these kosher for Pesach bagels that they serve at the Pesach programs. A real bagel. Because in the Pesach Shani, the second Paschal sacrifice, this prohibition of not having comments, DNA does not apply. At the time of slaughtering, it is forbidden to have comments. That's why even in our world, we stop having comments before noon on Erev Pesach. We have to eat it within the sign-up group, and we learned very severe details of taking it out of the sign-up group. In the first Paschal offering, we recite Halil when we eat it, as well as when we offer it. And the Chagiga offering, which we just talked about, is brought with it. The Efshashiyah, but under certain conditions, it can be brought in a state of ritual impurity. In the Itmarev Hakob, as we learned earlier, the majority of the people became defiled with impurity of death. The Meshavi as we explained. All of these are applications of the law, possible, applicable, in only the first Paschal offering, not the second. You can have Chomets and Matzah in this house. And bring a Pesach Shani. There's no halal during the eating process. It can be brought outside the group. There is no Chagiga. It never comes in a state of impurity as we learned earlier in great detail. And as we learned earlier in great detail, they both supersede the Shabbos, which means if somebody certainly is obligated to bring a second Paschal offering, even on Shabbos. They both need halal, the recycle of halal also while they're made, not while they're eaten. While they're eaten, only the first one does, not the second. But during the offering, we know the Levites said halal with the whole production. They're eaten. It is eaten, roasted in one house. On matzah or moror, vein mesir man, you don't leave over. Vein shaven bar matzah, you don't break a bone. All of these are the applicable laws to the Pesach. Why shouldn't it be a qual pasqual with all details? Second to the first. As it says, you should do it according to all the rules. Because he only specifies part. It's not equal to the first. It's partial, but only on specified details. By and large, they are the commandments that are connected. With the body of the Pesach sacrifice. This would be the statutes of the Pascal sacrifice rather than of the house or the people. What about the statement that is said with regard to the Paschal sacrifice of Egypt, where in Egypt, during that first year, it says they took it on the tenth day, and they tied it to the bedpost for four days. Should we do that? 
and they applied the blood of the Paschal offering on the 14th to the doorposts and the lintel. Should we do that? It should be eaten in haste. Should we do that? Says the Rambam, None of the above are observed for future generations. That was a one-time deal. They were only done in the Paschal offering of Egypt that one year. And the Rambam concludes, as he always does, Blessed be the compassionate, the merciful Hashem, who helped us and grants us assistance, because Baruch Hashem, we have now completed the ten chapters of Korban Pesach. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchais Chagiga, the laws of the festive Sacrifice, Chagiga, comes from the word Chag, holiday, festive sacrifices. As mentioned several times, there is a tractate, Chagiga, which deals with these sacrifices. Yesh Bechlolon, in the general category of Chagiga, there are Sheish Mitzvah, six commandments. Arba, Mitzvahs, Asay, four positive commandments. Ushtayim, Mitzvahs, Leisase, two negative commandments. And these are the details. One, Leheiroes, Pnei Hashem, to appear, to be seen before Hashem, to show oneself before Hashem in the holidays. Beis, Lochai, to celebrate, Bishleish, go in the three major festivals, Pesach, Shavuah, Sukkot, Gimel, Lismeach, Bargolim, to rejoice in the festivals. It's not enough to be seen in Jerusalem. It's not enough to celebrate and be miserable, but we must be happy. Dalit, Shalayeroe, Reikom, a person should not appear empty-handed. Come and bring your credit card, swipe. Or as I used to say when I was a kid, a long time ago, come and bring your checkbook. That's when they still use checks. Today everything is swipe. Hey, Shalayazev Levi, Milisamchei, don't forget about the Levi. The Levi represents the Jewish infrastructure, spirituality. Don't forget to support the infrastructure of the Jewish people. Because without the infrastructure of education and synagogues and shuls and so on and, and, and yeshivas, you have nothing. Don't forget to give him his gift. And then there is the mitzvah to gather together all the Jewish people. The three major festivals, their celebration, as we will learn, is primarily a commandment for men. Women could do it as well, but they're not commanded to do it if they're tied up with the kids. But once a year, the sukkahs, after the sabbatical year, every man, woman, and child must appear. In Jerusalem, that's called Hakel, the Mitzvah Shemitah, the Sukkot following the sabbatical year, Oveyor, Mitzvah Seilu, the explanation of these commandments, Mitzvah Seilu, in the following chapters. Aleph, Hedek Rishon, chapter 1, Aleph, Halach, Aleph. Shalish Mitzvah, three commandments. Shalish Mitzvah, Sasei, three positive commandments. Nitzvah Yisrael, the Jewish people were commanded. Mechol, Regal, Mishol, Yishri, Golem. Every one of the festivals, of the three major festivals. The Eiluhein, and these are the three major festivals. The first is, Hari'iyah, to be seen, to appear. As it says, all your males should be seen. And I just want to pause for a moment and point out that the mitzvah here is lirois vileirois, to see and to be seen. It's an exchange where the Israelite brings support and gifts to Jerusalem, to the Levi, to the Kohen, and the Levi and the Kohen and the Beis Hanigdash experience give spirituality to the Israelite. So it's an exchange, and that's the idea. When Chabad Rebbes and Rebbes of old would send Shadarim, would send emissaries, they would tell them, to plant spirituality and to collect materialism. Which means they had to plant spirituality. And then the people gave them support. Because that's the system which the Torah set up. That's Lirais, The lady teaches and the lady is supported. So one is Re'iyah, simply coming, appearing in Jerusalem. You have to physically go there. Then there's the celebration. You shall celebrate to Hashem your God. And we will define, God willing, in, this, in these chapters, what is the definition of celebration. How do you celebrate? You do just a dance, celebrating. Well, that's also celebrating. Vasimcha and joy. And we'll define joy. Shanan as it says, Bisamachta, you shall rejoice, Bihagecha in your festivals. Now definitions, what does Riya mean? Hushanira Ponov Bazara Shachag is that the Jew has to visibly show his face in the temple courtyard on the first day of all of these major festivals. Pesach, Shabuas, and Sukkot. Now, it's not enough to come, but as I said earlier, come and bring your credit, your credit card. The Yavi Ima, you must bring with him Korban Ayla, burnt offering. So there is what is called Korban Riya, the offering of being seen. What is this offering? A burnt offering. The korban re'iyah, the offering which is associated to being seen, is a burnt offering. This could be fowl or animal. And many of the commentaries here struggle with the idea that the Rambam says it could be a fowl because generally speaking these were animals. Anybody who shows up in the temple courtyard on the first day and does not bring a burnt offering, not only does he not fulfill a positive commandment, he also transgresses a negative commandment. As it says, you shall not see my presence empty-handed. A Jew has to bring sacrifices. You have to bring charity. 
However, there's no lashes conceivably possible for this violation of this negative commandment. Because there are never lashes applicable when there's no deed that was done. There are sins of commission and sins of omission. This was a sin of omission. He omitted to bring them over. There can't be lashes. So we now have the definition of Riyah. Riyah means you have to be seen on the first day of the festival. The males have to come, show up, check in, punch in, as they say, in the temple courtyard and bring an offering, a burnt offering. And we're going to learn about how many and what and so on and so forth, but bring offerings. That's one. That's one mitzvah. Then there is Hachagiga, the festive offering, which is mentioned in the Torah. And I just want to point out something which may be confusing us. We already learned in the section of Paschal Sacrifices about a Hagiga offering that was brought on the 14th day of Nisan. This is not the same. That is a Hagiga offering which was not mandatory in order to have the people eat the Paschal Sacrifice for dessert. This is a mandatory Hagiga offering which is on the festive day, in the case of Pesach, the 15th of the month. Or Sukkot, the 15th, or Shavuot, the first day. What does that mean? Hachagiga, Amur, must also, on top of the burnt offerings enumerated earlier, mentioned earlier, we have to bring festive offerings. What are they? Peace offerings. When he comes to be seen. So that's mitzvah number two. There's mitzvah number one is to be seen and bring a burnt offering or burnt offerings. Mitzvah number two is to be seen and bring celebration offerings. Peace offerings. This is well known. That throughout, peace offerings always come only from animals. There are no bird peace offerings. No such thing. These two commandments, I made a bracha earlier, it's going to have some water. Thank you. These two commandments, Shehain, which are Hariya, being seen and bringing a burnt offering, Machagiga, and celebrating and bringing a peace offering, these are by and large men's mitzvahs, meaning not men's mitzvahs, men's obligations. Women are not obligated to do so. And the reason is very simple. Because these are mitzvahs that have to do with a specific time, and women have a more important job to do, and that is they have a family to raise. So they're going to run to Jerusalem, who's going to take care of the kids? So they're doing something far more important. They're raising the next generation. If they don't have children, if their children are grown up, and they're able to go, sure, why not? Great. Then there is the idea of simcha, of joy. What is the definition of joy mentioned by holidays? That he should bring more peace offerings on top of the celebration offerings of peace. And they are called the peace offerings of the joy of the festival. So in addition to the festival offerings, there's the joy offerings. As it says, you shall sacrifice peace offerings. You shall eat it there. Where's there? In Jerusalem. You shall rejoice before God your God. In the mitzvah of joy, women are obligated as well. Now there's a lot of discussion. What does this mean? Does it mean that the woman has to come three times a year? And bring the Shalmei Simcha, we just said that she doesn't. It means that although a woman is not obligated to be seen in Jerusalem three times a year, although a woman is not obligated to bring the offerings of Chagigah of celebration, a woman is obligated to be joyous. So therefore, her husband has to bring the sacrifices of joy for her as well. So that he can fulfill her obligation of these sacrifices, and she should at home do things that bring her joy in, in, in the uh, Shulchan Aruch. Uh, it talks about the fact that on the holiday, it's, it's traditional for the husband to buy his wife jewelry, to give her joy, or, or what have you. But this is not what the Rambam is talking about. The Rambam says, it is her mitzvah. Now the question is, how she performs the mitzvah if she's home. Okay. Beis, Ariyah, Vachagigah, Eilan, Shirim, and When we talk about commandments number one and two of this three-commandment list, which is Riyah being seen, Chagigah, and celebration, how many burnt offerings does a person have to bring for Riyah? How many peace offerings does a person have to bring for Chagigah? Eilan, Shirim, and by Torah law. There is no amount. Shanamar, it actually says, it depends how much you can afford. Ish, Kemat Nasiyote, each man according to the gift of his hands, the Gomer, whatever you can afford. Avomid, the Brisafin, but rabbinically they defined it. Shalayah, Korban, Eilas, Riyah, that he should bring at least one. And it should not be Pachas, Mishabah, Moa, Gesab, less than the value of one Moa, silver, Veleshami, Chagigah, and the peace offerings of Chagigah should not be Pachas, less, Mishabah, Shtayk, Gesab, and two silver Moa. So that's rabbinically the minimums. Needless to say, it's much better if he brings many sacrifices. O mitzvah, it's a commandment, it's a mitzvah, it's better, Lahavi, Kifiyashay, that a person should bring according to his financial blessings, Shanamar, Kemat, Nasiyote, according to the gift of his hands. Now this would become a whole celebration because people would go back to their lodgings, to their hotels, and they would invite friends and family and the Levites and the poor, and they would celebrate, they would eat of the Chagiga peace offerings, of the Simcha peace offerings, and it was a whole celebration. Gimel, Shalmei Simcha, the third mitzvah, which are the peace offerings of joy. Even our sages did not give a minimum. 
So therefore, bottom line is, when a person ascends and goes up to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals, if he had sacrifices that were fit to be brought for Rio, which are what? Burnt offerings. He should bring them. The guy has animals? Bring the animals. We learned earlier, the guy could not reach Jerusalem on time for the Paschal offering because he got caught in a bottleneck, a traffic jam of animals. Because there were animals all over the place, especially at the El Toro Y, as we say here in Southern California. It was a big bottleneck. What if somebody doesn't have animals? They're not in the animal business. It's not a problem. He can bring silver. He can bring silver money to pay for the animals. There are plenty of places in Jerusalem to buy animals. Animals are us. What if he has no silver? He has no money? No high-level currency? He should not bring the value of money. He should not bring stuff that's worth money. I feel like the other shabbat even if he had merchandise or objects that are worth not silver, but gold, a lot. He is forbidden to ascend to Jerusalem without either money or sacrifices. What's wrong with uh, diamonds? What's wrong with very expensive stuff that has the equivalent of money? He could barter. Why did our sages forbid a person to take the equivalent of money, valuables, gzeda, we're concerned, because a person brings commodities. He can have very expensive commodities, but not find a customer. And if you don't find a customer, you're not going to give it away. So therefore, you won't be able to negotiate these commodities. Or perhaps if he has coins or, or what have you, perhaps he'll find that, I'm sorry, he takes the commodities and sells it for coins, and maybe he got counterfeit coins. Maybe he got what he calls sigim, that uh, impurities, the monies are impure, people won't accept them, because he's in a hurry, he didn't realize that it's not top quality coins. The equivalent of today's counterfeit. Dalid, now we learn, so let's summarize. We learn that there are three mitzvahs. One is re'iyah, to be seen and bring a burnt offering. The other is chagiga, to come and celebrate and bring a peace offering. And the third is simcha, to be joyous and bring peace offerings, and not only one, but more. When? The first day of the festival. Dalid, initially, he could be on Tiberishin Elas Riyah. What if somebody simply was not able to, for any reason, to bring his burnt offering of being seen, or peace offering of celebration on the first day of the festival, either because the line was too long. Imagine, every Jew is trying to bring an offering. There must have been a line around the block. The line must have been going, uh, I don't know, to, uh, to Ben Gurion Airport. Must have been a very big line. Or he got busy. He was tired. He took a nap. Is that it? Did he lose his opportunity? No. On the balance of the days of the festival. Remember, Pesach has biblically how many days? Seven days. Sukkot has seven days. Seven days you shall celebrate the God your God. Melamed, this teaches us the word celebrate is used. They're all fit for celebration. Meaning the sacrifices could be brought on any of these days. And the buzzword here, the key word is Tashlumi. They are make-up opportunities. Tashlumim. Tashlumi rishon of the first day aim. Which means the mitzvah is the first day. You didn't bring the first, bring the second, bring the third, up to the seventh. Now, does that mean I can sit back and wait till the 7th, till the traffic thins? Some people don't like crowds. Like me? It's a mitzvah to come early. In general, mitzvah should be done ASAP. The sooner we do a mitzvah, the greater the mitzvah. So therefore you have to aim at bringing it on the first day. You haven't had an opportunity to do it on the first day of Sukkot or Pesach. Whether inadvertently, or intentionally, whether it's a good thing or not, we'll talk about it some other day. But you should bring it the second day. ASAP. If he just keeps putting it off, it's not a good thing. It's meguna. Meguna means ugly. We all have never regarding this person. It says he uses the verse nuge mimayed asafti. He reinterprets the verse. I will gather in and break those who delay the festive prayers and offerings. Which means the sooner you pay your charity, the better it is. That is a general rule, especially in the base on English. But if he didn't do it the second day, does it the third day? Didn't do it the third day, do it the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, the seventh day. Oh, but our regular the whole festival passes really hard, and he didn't bring his celebration obligations. So let's say the whole Sukkot passed, the whole Pesach passed, Shavuos passed. I'm going to talk soon about Shavuos and its makeup days. And he didn't bring it. So can he say I'll bring it next week when the traffic thins out? No, he has no longer an obligation because that opportunity is past. Malzer. For this type of situation, anything similar, these are transgressions, wrongs that can never be righted. Why? This is the famous expression, the time passes, the opportunity to bring the offering passes. What if he didn't do these sacrifices on the first day of Sukkot? Now, not only do we have seven days of Sukkot, but the Rambam tells us something fantastic. He also has the eight day of Sukkot, which for many purposes is a separate festival. Still, for sacrifice purposes, it's still a make-up day. Even the eighth day can serve as a makeup opportunity for the sacrifices that were not brought on the first day. So also on Shavuos, biblically, how many days is Shavuos? One. 
So you expect the whole Jewish people to bring a sacrifice on one day? That's a challenge. Chege Kol Shiva, also has seven days. This is called Yemei Tashlumin, the days of makeup. That's why to this very day, even though there is no base on English yet, we celebrate by not reciting Tachlun and by having a joyous atmosphere until the twelfth day of Sivan, adding five days to our two days of Shavuos. Again, biblically, there's one day of Shavuos. We have six days. This is by tradition. That Shavuos is equivalent to Pesach. For makeup, just as there are seven days when one can possibly bring the Paschal, not the Paschal, the Passover celebration offerings, there are seven days on Shavuos as well. Even though they're not festival, they're post-festival, but they are makeup days. Now, what if the first day of Yom Tif comes out on Shabbos? And I want to mention again that Baruch Hashem, we had the privilege to study the tractate of Chagiga here in our Monday night class. And we learned many of the details of these laws. And one of the challenges of Chagiga is what happens if the first day of Yom Tov comes out on Shabbos? Is this something that can violate Shabbos? Any sacrifice that must be brought today must be brought today, like the daily offering, like the Shabbos offering. But an offering that can be brought tomorrow doesn't have to violate Shabbos. The burnt offerings are being seen. The Shalmei and the peace offerings, Chagiga of celebration, Einon, Dechin, do not supersede. Leyasa Shabbos, not Shabbos, which means you don't bring them on Shabbos. Why? Because you're going to bring them on Sunday. Nor do they override a state of impurity. Because unlike the offering, which must be the Musaf, which must be brought on the first day of Pesach. This does not have to bring, be brought on the first day of Pesach. If he doesn't bring these offerings today, Shabbos, he brings the offerings tomorrow. Can I show the honor explained? With that argument, you could say, well, what about Yom Tif? You shouldn't break the Yom Tif. You should wait till the intermediate days. No. They do override the prohibitions associated with the sacrifice on Yom Tif. This is something that should be done on the holiday. Even though, wait a minute, you can argue and say, just a second, if somebody makes a free will offering, he can't bring it on Yom Tif. Maybe this should be like a free will offering. No. This is a festive offering. He should offer. We, we offer Elas, burnt offerings of Re'iyah being seen. Vishalmi and peace offerings, Chagigah of celebration. Vishalmi and peace offerings of Simcha of joy. Remember, these are the three mitzvahs to be seen to bring burnt offerings, to celebrate and bring peace offerings, to rejoice and bring peace offerings. She'ain't Elon, the Dharma of these do not go into the context of free will offerings. Elohavis, these are obligatory. Obligatory, although does not supersede Shabbos, does supersede Yom Tes. Kishem Makriv, Hamakriv, Elas, Riyose, Vishalmi, Chagigah, Sebi, Simcha, Sebi, When the one who offers brings his burnt offering, of Re'iyah being seen. His peace offering of celebration and his peace offering of joy on Yom Tov. And we learned earlier in great detail that when somebody brings an offering, he leans on the offering. This is called Simicha. The question is, do you do this on Yom Tov? Because you're not supposed to lean on an animal on Yom Tov. The answer is yes. He does lean on the animal and as is prescribed in this law with all of his strength, just as he would do in all the other days of the week, even though we know that if somebody brought the offering and for some reason did not do the leaning ritual, it does not prevent the offering from being accepted. As we explained thoroughly in the section of sacrifices, like leaning on an animal is a rabbinic decree and in general rabbinic decrees are not applicable in the holy temple. What if somebody sets aside his burnt offering of being seen and then that person passes away? So now there's a burnt offering in his estate. His heirs must bring it. Further Furthermore, in general, we talked about free will offerings. It is permissible to bring free will offerings on the intermediate days. Shanaman, as it says in the verse, famous verse, Ela, these offerings, Tasi, you shall make Hashem to God, Bimo Adechem on your festivals, Levad, in addition to, on top of, Minid Rechem, Minid Vesech, on top of your vows and free will offerings. Miklau, this proves, Shakrev and that there are free will offerings brought on the festival. Ela, Sechem, Kemir Ela, Svetzer, like the burnt offering of a leper, Ela, Yelet, is the burnt offering of a woman who gives birth, Olimin Chesechem, a meal offering, Lahabi, Minchaschita, meal offerings of sinners, Olimin a meal offering of jealousy. The whole law of Sota and so on covered earlier. All the Shalmechem, the Rabbi Shalmi Nazir, to include the peace offerings of the Nazir who came full cycle. Hakol Kravim, all of the above may be brought by Moed on the festival. They ain't Kravim the Yomtiv, but the above list should not be offered on Yomtiv, only on the intermediate days. The closing paragraph of this chapter, very interesting paragraph. So a person has three mitzvahs, all made up of bringing sacrifices. He has burnt offerings, peace offerings, and peace offerings. Ria, Chagiga, and Simcha. So therefore, we all have to make choices in life. What if somebody has a big guest list, and he doesn't have that much money, a big guest list, and a short financial statement? What do you do? Maybe So he goes big on the celebration peace offerings because every celebration peace offering can be taken to his hotel and fed to his guests. And he goes small on the burnt offerings which are burnt on the altar. So being that he has a big guest list, he wants to put the emphasis on the peace offerings which are eaten rather than on the burnt offerings which are consumed on the altar. But what if he had a small guest list? He was not sociable. He didn't have a lot of friends and family. But he had a lot of money. He had a lot of possessions. So he brought a lot of animals. 
or he brought a lot of money to buy animals. His solution is the opposite. What does he need to bring food home to a hotel and have nobody to feed it to and have it left over? That's not smart. Maybe Eilish Leah let him better bring in abundance. A burnt offerings are being seen. Merubais, as we used to say in North, mucho, mucho. Asach, Vishal Mechagigam Wotis. And let him go easy on the peace offerings of celebration because he doesn't have a big guest list. What if he had not a lot of guests and not a lot of money? I guess he has to go to Sizzler. No, I'm just kidding. That was a terrible thing to say. I take it back. The clock kosher Sizzler. Regarding this, we say, That's why we had a minimum before. There has to be at least a silver more. For the burnt offering, which takes care of two silver pieces, that's the minimum amount. Maximum could be tens and tens of offerings. What if he had a lot of guests and a lot of possessions? Aha. Regarding this, it says, According to the blessing of God your God, which he gave you, you have a lot of guests, meaning you have a big family, you have a lot of friends, you have a lot of business associates, and you have a lot of possessions. Thank God you are blessed by Hashem. End of chapter 1.